Nightcaps of the Living Dead. Everyone's favorite period piece, Carrie. everyone it is season two electric boogaloo yes i love that <laughs> do you guys know sequels <laughs> sequels are better than the first we all know it you know you love scream two and halloween two more than scream one and halloween guys thanks for listening to us and we took a, a little break after season one to enjoy thanksgiving and also to really see if the world was going to end on november 5th but now that we've been past that yes <laughs> It is a brand new life, a brand new world, a brand new year is upon us. Guys, welcome to your New Year's episode. And we are discussing, I think G has a very appropriately themed drink for today. It's called a Bloody Mary because we're discussing Stephen King's, well, Brian De Palma's slash Stephen King's Carrie, 1977, the year I was born. 1976. 1977. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> we'll cut that. We'll cut that. 1970-something. Carrie. Which is when you were born. 1970-something. Yeah. We don't even count anymore. Who cares? I know. I might be 40. I might be 39. Who knows? You could be 39 a few times if you want. Exactly. I also so think, having... well, I think this Bloody Mary is a missed opportunity to have a Bloody Carrie G, come on. Exactly. This is a bloody carry. It's a bloody carry. This represents so many things when you think about this movie, but I'm not going to go into them. It could be that or this or the other thing. It could be Pick's blood, <laughs> Carrie's menstruation, <laughs> superpowers, telekinesis, women power. I don't know. Whatever you want it to be. It, this it's is, there in a glass for you. <laughs> it's here in a glass for me, and I'm going to have all the... Mm, Mm. Well, cheers to menstruation. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good. Cheers to menstruation and female power. Yes, I do. Cheers there to There we go. <laughs> oh, my God. It's actually really good. I'm sure it's good. Wow. Okay. It's the first sip I've had, guys. I prepared this earlier. Ooh. It's potent. It's telekinetic. I like it. Mm. So, everybody, you, okay. know, you know the story of Carrie. It is a classic. I mean, and like G said... Brian De Palma slash Stephen King's Carrie. So you have schooled me in everything Stephen King with. This was his first. Was this his debut novel or his first successful novel or both? No, it's his first novel. Okay. First everything. And first thing he published. According to legend, he wrote this and kind of threw it in the trash and his wife dug it out. What's the story with that? Yes. Yeah, so this is um, so he wrote for the first draft for it. His wife, Tabitha, read it. She's always like his first reader and everything that he does. In fact, it might have come out of the fact that from this very first experience. So he was like, I don't know. I wrote this. I feel inappropriate writing about a teenage girl. Like, this is not. He had written other things for himself and published in small. Yeah, like short stories like and things like that. Like, right? sure. So this was his first novel. And so he threw it in the trash thinking, who am I to talk about the experience of a teenage girl? I like that self-awareness, but he, yeah, that's awesome. And he was like, I don't know if I'm a, if this feels very wrong. And so he threw it in the trash, like, this is crap. I cannot write from this perspective. 
And so she picked that up and read it. It's like, no, this no, is you great. have Brilliant. like he, you have to do this. Yeah, everybody knows about Stephen King's distaste for the cinematic version of The Shining. Yes. Um, so that's why it's a really interesting contrast with Carrie because this is the one movie where he says that he enjoyed it way more than the book, and especially, and we'll get there because of the ending. And also, we got to talk about Brian De Palma being so stylistic. He is a phenomenal director, but just visually, this movie is stunning. And also the use of, um, you are better with technical terms, the split screen, the, the split Hitchcock. Split screen, yeah. Sitch. The split screen. No, that's actually all It's De all De Palma, right? He debuted that, yeah? Okay, he I thought... Lo- this is his thing. The, uh, there's two things in the 70s. The zoom lens, the zoop. Right. Um, <laughs> I wish it made that effect. <laughs> but a De Palma split screen is infamous. If there's a split screen in a movie nowadays, if you've watched the um, what's that show with Homecoming mm-hmm. with Julia Roberts, it, it's a split screen De Palma. Yeah, it's a reference to De Palma. And it's oh, a and reference to Carrie most of the time. And he's used it in all his movies. And, and whenever you and I zoom, we always call this De Palma vision because yes. uh, at least on my hand, I'm like left and I'm on the right, and I just I love seeing that. And I I remember viewers early on a lot of people were a little um overwhelmed with the split screen because they're like where do my eyes go what am i supposed to be looking at you're looking at so much but imagine i mean debuting that in this day and age people would just be like oh yeah like because we're we're also scattered and have add and have just you know our attention spans are shit that i think that if this technique were debuted in this day and age, it would be nothing. People would be like, oh, that's cool. It was actually efficient, as opposed to how stylistic and overwhelming it was supposed to make the audience member feel back in the 70s. I think it splits the idea that you are connected to the main character, but also looking at the horror, and particularly in that, well, we'll get there to the final scene, Mm -hmm. but it splits your perspective with who you're supposed to be identifying with. Oh, like a little schizophrenia. Yes. Okay. Which, you know, he went to do, what is it? Dress to kill and all Mm -hmm. those other movies where Mm -hmm. he plays with those ideas as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And I think this is totally him and he's owned this since then. And you, if you do a split screen, you're doing at the Palma split screen. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's what it's called. That's pretty great. It's his, it's, it's totally his jam. And, and yeah, you're right that Stephen King loves the movie. He loves his it. movie a lot. Yeah. Which he, he doesn't say that about The Shining. Which before. is also one of my top tens. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie and a wonderful book. But it's just so interesting to see that um, immediate that immediate distaste for this was amazing, better than what I could do. And then the next one, which is a cinematic masterpiece of The Shining, of like, I have problems with this. It's just really quite fascinating um so the log line for carrie pretty much is a sheltered teenage girl is bullied by her classmates and her overly religious mother until she finally unleashes her psychic powers at the prom and makes everyone pay i wanted to ask you i've i think you and i've talked about prom maybe twice in our 20-year friendship so here's the interesting thing about puerto rican proms oh your whole family goes to the prom which is (laughs) Did I tell you about this no. before? 
Okay, I was talking to, with to this with Jim actually. About, he was like, "What?" I was like, "Yes, everyone. My mom was there. My dad was there. My sister, my brother, everyone." In was the there. actual school, like, like at the dance, the break yes. down with you. Well, oh my god! Well, it's not at the school. It's at a very fancy hotel. In fact, oh, you've been there. It's at the San Juan Hotel and Casino. Oh, that's beautiful. Remember when we went with the big chandelier? The standing. So that's where my prom was, and everyone was there. That's. <laughs> That's what? Had, at the same time I had my date, uh-huh. Pris- Priscilla. If she's listening, um, <laughs> she's a lawyer now somewhere. Um, yeah, so I had my date, and I. The one thing that I remember is that she made her own dress to the prom. Oh, which that's is, a pretty in pink yeah. moment. That's really cute. But didn't Carrie also make her? Own yes, prom? she did. Oh, okay. Can you imagine? Um, wait, can you imagine if Piper Laurie accompanied Carrie to prom? It would have been a whole different movie. It would have exactly. <laughs> we need the Puerto Rican version where Piper Laurie is there. What about your prom? Oh, tell me, tell me, oh yeah, tell oh, me about your my prom. My prom, my prom. Uh, yeah, my prom. I went to my junior prom with an older guy. Like he was my high school boyfriend because of course I didn't date anybody my age. I was one of those girls. <laughs> so oh, I you were dating. Up. I was okay. dating up. Um, so yeah, the guy had already graduated, which now I respect. I'm like, oh, that's so creepy. Like, don't go back to your high school for a prom. Like, you already graduated. Don't be around these kids. So um, I took my high school boyfriend at the time. He had already graduated, where it's a junior prom. I had like a really shitty dress. I mean, I was broke as anything. So I think I had like this brown, <laughs> like long sleeve velvet dress. <laughs> I mean, you think prom, oh. do you think brown? I, I have no idea what was going on with me. Um, I think like as far as the music goes, it was very late nineties. I think a lot of Celine Dion, Going on some Titanic shit. Yeah, Yeah, that was the the slow jam. The the remix, the remix, (laughs) the techno remix. And then for my senior prom, I didn't go because I was in, um, I did a lot of community theater and I was in a community theater production of The Breakfast Club. And I was like, I'd rather do this, right? I was Claire, of course. I was doing a, a show instead of prom and i remember it was a big thing with my friends at school of like you're not going to remember the show you're not going to remember this theater production for the rest of your life prom you're going to remember i stand by my decision i'm okay (laughs) it's fine i didn't go to the senior prom it's not that interesting guys yeah yeah it is i don't know i the prom it's a funny tradition it's a weird thing it's a i think it's made it's much more fun in a movie than it is in real life, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially in this movie. Especially in this movie, yeah. <laughs> this kind of like set the bar for proms. If your prom didn't turn out like Carrie, then you were at a kind of snoozer ordeal. Exactly. So, okay, so the opening scene of this, I have remembered this scene since I was a young girl because that's whenever you see kind of like naked adult women for the first time at least in in my world i think i was like a child i think i was eight or nine or something when i saw this movie and um i was like oh that's there's a lot of naked women it's also like 70s naked women we got bush going on we had everybody has natural tits it was a different era and um i remember growing up in this very conservative southern environment that people were like oh this is exploitative um it's kind of like a, a reference to 70 soft porn all of this which mm-hmm. 
as I grew up and as a woman, I'm like, no, it's actually so, um, it's respectful. I mean, it was just so unapologetically uh, just feminist in your face to me. It's like, here's full on frontal nudity. Here's women laughing and being naked. And here's menstruation within the first like five minutes of this movie. I thought either you're going to get up and leave and not watch this movie because this kind of thing is too much for you, mm -hmm. or you're going to be compelled to learn a little bit more. I mean, I, I wrote down the other shower scene, meaning <laughs> as opposed to psycho. I, I thought about psycho for some reason in this scene. Mm hmm. Because it is, again, as, as you point out, Shaiko was the first time I think that a shower got shown in a movie or mm. a place of intimacy. Right. Where a woman or a man or anybody would be, it's kind of like, oh, you're sh even before the murder part, right? Yeah. Just we're, the we're acknowledging part. that this is a day-to-day, um, -day, like people shower, people get people naked. People shower, people and this is being represented in cinema. So this starts the same way. Psycho was the first time that you saw someone in a shower and someone vulnerable in a shower and someone well at, in the 60s it seemed like she was naked mm -hmm. I mean, everyone thinks you think you've seen gently naked in that scene right you don't. but you don't absolutely um, it's the editing is the way it's the same way that you think she's you see the the actual stabbing mm -hmm. it's all suggested through the editing mm -hmm. so in this sequence i think the palma is kind of going there again and showing a space, which is a locker room uh -huh. in a high school, uh -huh. which is a, kind of like a sacred space that you're not allowed to go in. And then he's just showing you what's there. Yeah. In this very naturalistic, nonchalant kind of way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what makes it so, at the time, kind of like shocking. To talk about periods so freely. Yes. You and know? then on top of that, you add... Yeah. The, the fact that Perry has her first period and then the situation that she doesn't know, mm -hmm. add all those layers to it. Right off the bat, I want to discuss how I think that the remake of Carrie mm -hmm. with our girl Julianne Moore, with our, our girl and, um, and Chloe um, Metz, is that her name? Chloe Grace Metz? Moetz? Chloe Grace Moetz, I think. Chloe yes. Moetz. Um, she was fantastic. She was great. But... The remake was such a missed opportunity because I, I keep thinking about this, especially with this period shower scene. I keep thinking how if you're going to remake Carrie, that this girl should have been either gay or trans. And I, and I will prove this point throughout this podcast. Like I really. Oh, and then if it was today, right? Yes. Yeah. And yes. Which they did. I agree so with that. The, this movie was in 2013 and it was like such a missed opportunity because I thought, okay, what if they reverse the, the genders? And I'm like, okay, well, the period scene is so important because it's pretty much, you know, from Stephen King's writing and from Brian De Palma's point of view, it's all about blooming into a young woman and also like Representative Eve being an asshole and the religious mother, you know, wanting to abort her child and sin. Like it, you, the, the, main, the main character needs to be a woman. Carrie needs to be a woman, but she could have been a trans character. Mm -hmm. She could have looked at her body and looked at all the women's bodies in the locker room and be like, I don't feel at home in this body. Or she could have 
gotten her period i'm like i don't oh my want god this. there's so many interesting right uh, and, yeah and so i'm upset uh, because i went back and i looked back at the the remake of carrie and um it was done by what's her face is it kimberly is kimberly pierce right yes it's the kimberly director pierce, yeah. yeah of boys uh, don't cry boys don't cry yes. so i was just like oh my god. what happened <laughs> yes. in my head i'm like screaming of does she want to go this route did the studio say no 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 this is too much because it just was too on the nose for the novel and the original without the stylistic De Palma stuff. And it's like, if she were gay or trans, this would have been a phenomenal remake. But it was like, ee, 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 ee. So, Yeah, anyways. I think they're trying to recreate They're not updating it in any they, way. They added technology, like the period scene with Chloe. I think they filmed it on iPhones. So I was like, that's that's a cop or like they're like bringing out the iPhones. Yeah, which is- Stupid. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Re- I'm. I mean, you remember it more than me. I almost always it's Julianne. There's also the Julianne. Julianne. There's also the Patricia Clarkson version. Oh yes, about, yes, yes, yes. With I think it, Angela Bettis plays Carrie. I think. Oh, I barely remember that one. It was a TV movie. Yeah, but, but it was good. But um, they're all good. Perfect casting in both cases. Yeah, the acting was great. But. Not as memorable as this one. I mean, maybe this is the original, right? I mean, I made a. But, sp- I was gonna say it made a splash, but God, I don't want to go <laughs> <laughs> with that word a and visual associations. Like I don't want to. <laughs> no, but I think this opening sequence what makes it so powerful is that it is so feminine. It's mm-hmm. very. It feels like you're in a sacred space at the beginning. The music, even the credits. Mm-hmm. It's like you're watching this um, place where you're not supposed to be watching. What I find so compelling watching it today is like, oh, this is very honest. It's not trying to be exploitative in an era of when it was easy, heavy like every yeah. every movie. This was... is the era of exploitation. Yeah, and and so the scene is like, oh. And then it turns into horror. I think he's setting up the horror by mm-hmm. being it, by playing it so respectful and normal. And and we're supposed to um, experience Carrie's horror. And a lot of people think that you know it's it's about adolescence, which it is. It's about being sheltered and being fed the wrong information, and what happens when you rebel against the information. But more so, like how just fucking shitty kids can be. And also revisiting this in 2020, I mean, there's so many. There's there's all these jokes about how kids these days get a trophy just for showing up, all this stuff. There's a very severe no bullying policy put in place, which when we were coming up, like, oh, if you were different, you were singled out and you were picked on, which I think you're Carrie... Bill- and you're bullied. I mean, yeah. we're all bullied. Right? Yeah, everybody. Yeah, because like everybody like, is a little bit different. If you're kind of a unique individual you're going to be bullied for something or feel really bad about yourself. And some kid is going to try to pick up on that and, you know, make you feel even worse so he can feel better, he or she. And I got to say, if it was a trans or gay kid, that could have been knocked home a little bit bigger in 2013 in the remake. In 2013, yeah. And, I, and, and of course, my God, Kimberly Pierce right? could have totally... I'm just wondering what happened. Like, that had to be introduced, right? Um, I want to know. And then thinking about that, in the next scene when she goes home 
I just wrote a comment here. She gets locked in the closet. I know. With, like, Once again, could be a symbolism. Jesus. Can we talk about the glowing eyes, Jesus? Yes. I, this is the most terrifying image of my childhood. It was so freaky. It was so freaky. Like between the hair and the glowing eyes, it looked like something in Candy Spelling's room of atrocities. Yes. Like, <laughs> it was freaky. Like I... I appreciated the close-up on it. I don't know where they found that. Some prop guy did his job it, that it day. It really works because I always, this is one of the most terrifying, it's a very simple little thing, yeah. but it's one of the most terrifying images in the movie. Yeah. And I bet he came, I bet, I bet the, the prop mother. guy came to Brian De Palma or maybe Brian De Palma was like, like out thrifting. Who the fuck knows? But I bet that <laughs> when that little Jesus showed up, I mean, it's just so symbolic of how scary and evil religion can be and how this like little figure that's supposed to represent masculinity and holiness and is just Piper's ultimate, you know, trophy how it could just of death yes yes <laughs> and, and it just instills so much terror and horror in people especially carrie so piper laurie i don't know if you read this she thought her performance she got an oscar nomination for this as did sissy spacek they both were nominated for an oscar this actually i think one of the first oh no no the exorcist already come out but you know one of those times where Acting in horror gets nominated. Mm -hmm. It didn't win until Kathy Bates in Misery, 1990. But it was kind of the beginning of that recognition of really good acting and mm -hmm. horror movies. Mm -hmm. Started with The Exorcist and Linda Blair and um, Ellen Burstyn. So, but Piper Laurie, who is, I just saw in History of Horror, like the other night in, in the new season from this year mm -hmm. and she's like like 90 or something mm -hmm. and she looks great oh yeah she looks great still working yeah and i was like whoa go piper laurie <laughs> so my point was that she's always perceived this performance as being very comedic she always thought she was over the top or overacting and then she got an oscar and she always talks about it I'm like i was so surprised they were asking me to do these like big things i never understood the movie i thought i was in a comedy the way i was oh. told to perform uh -huh. and then i got an oscar nomination for it and she was like to me i was so thrown i was off. laughing <laughs> wow but it works so well and her performance is very big right it's but it's because she's this crazy religious person they're all gonna laugh at you they're all and she was like, to me, it was. She she thought when she was doing it, I thought I was. She was doing the worst overacting ever, wow. and this would never work. And she was so wrong. And she always says it's one of those surprising moments as an actor, where you do something and you really think this is terrible because I'm doing and it. And she too was hard, pleasantly surprised. And then she was like, "Oh my god, it totally works when she saw it." And well, then she got an Oscar nomination for it. You got it. <laughs> you got to look at it. Of um, there are so many overly religious people. This is not, you know grouping religious people into a category i'm saying the zealots that they're so impassioned and so buried in religion that they can't see anything outside of themselves they can only see that this is their truth this is it this is the way it should be for everybody and in order to be such an oppressive presence and to prove the theme of the the story like she had to be 200 percent. so i could totally understand this direction and she was great i mean coming from the Bible belt here. Like I felt like I knew those women and I, and I love when she goes door to door and she's selling Bibles and, mm -hmm. and it, she shows up at 
um, Amy Irving's yeah. Amy Irving's mom, <laughs> who is her real mom in real life, by the way. I love that. I think that's so great. Yeah. It's Priscilla Pointer, also the therap- uh, the doctor in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Oh, there you are. Fun fact. Fun, fun fact. fact. Easter egg. Uh, but whenever Piper shows up at the, the house and, and Amy Irving's mom is there and fabulous and drinking and everything, she's not getting her point across about the end times. She's like, these are godless times. And the neighbor mom is just like, I'll drink to that and just does a shot. <laughs> and I'm like, that's where we are, guys. Like, we're all kind of functioning alcoholics. I mean, everybody's like burying themselves in something. And it's just like, I'll drink to it. It'll be okay. Okay, so do you have anything else on Piper? Do you want to move on to Tommy and his blonde? Yes, I have things to say about Tommy because my first thought when I saw Tommy, I was like, and this is going to sound very strange. This is just me or does Tommy look exactly like a young Bill Clinton? And then I went, (laughs) Gary, Hillary, (laughs) is this a biopic of the Clintons? What's happening? If and if you have ever seen a picture of Hillary and Bill Clinton in the seventies, it's fucking I, I Tommy and Carrie. I could see that he has like the the little Boom. chin, and you know he's very charismatic. And then Hillary's, you know, I remember she had the Coke bottle glasses and very down the middle straight hair, very seventies and a little dowdy. I mean, I could I could totally see that. That's funny. And I, so for some, so I totally like superimposed that, and I was like, but I'm not. This is not even like a little. This is very big. Close. Okay. And so scratch Carrie being remade as a trans character is being remade with Hillary Clinton because the election was prom. We all thought she was going to get it. She's covered in blood. She didn't get it. And the hell unleashed. Yes. (laughs) I'm down with your Clinton analogy. And I also think their love story is, is one of the best things about the movie. They do fall in love. You think so? Is, Tommy and I Carrie? Think so. I, oh, I, I, don't. I don't. I don't I don't think initially they do, but I think at some point towards the end of the movie, right before he dies, right because mm-hmm. he dies from the thing, mm-hmm. he does fall in love with her. Okay. He's I, definitely playing along, but I think there's a moment. Well, yeah, he sees, he kind of sees this girl for who she is, because I think he does have a very gentle soul. There's this whole reoccurring theme throughout the movie that these women are manipulating the men with sex and yeah, just pretty much with sex. (laughs) I was going to say with power, but no, you're a high school girl. It's just like from the mean girl, Regina George character. um, What's her name in the movie? It's not Sue. Sue is the curly haired girl. It's it's Nancy Allen. Um, De Palma. She married De Palma, right? Weren't they like together? Nancy? I think so. Yes. I think they were. So it's it's Nancy Allen. Oh, Chris. So Nancy Allen. Yeah, Nancy Allen is playing Chris, this Regina George mean girl character. We have Amy Irving, who is actually innocent and kind of sympathizes. Who's married to Steven Spielberg as well at some yes, point. Yes, And she, um, she sympathizes with Carrie. Um, these two very different women. However, it's like the cult of teenage girl that if you're different, if you're odd, if you're weird, it's like a, a wolf pack mentality. You gang up on the weaker animal. A lot of these guys from John Travolta to um, this guy is William Cat, right? That's the actor's William name. William Cat, yeah. Who played the greatest American hero. I remember oh, him. Oh, that is him. Her, His blonde, yes. blondie locks. Curly. They're so cute. So 
you see that, yeah, he's he's for survival mode. He's going through with this whole thing of asking Carrie to the prom because Amy Irving has such guilt and sympathy and wants to do the right thing. Um, she's not in on the joke. Apparently earlier audiences at screenings thought that Amy Irving's character was kind of in on the joke. And it's like, no, no, no. She sincerely wanted this guy to take Carrie to the prom so she could have one night of kind of teenage normalcy and she's so secure in her relationship that she's like nothing's gonna happen it's fine and we do see that this uh little blondie locks he finds more endearing things about Carrie and he comes to his own conclusion thinks with his own mind of she's not bad guys she's not weird she's sheltered she's a little awkward but she has a beautiful heart and he never judges her this may be why I see Bill Clinton in it. I think he's in love with Emmy Irving, and then he falls in love with Carrie. It's Aww. like Bill Clinton. He falls in love with everyone, right? You know Bill Clinton. I love loves, that you say like falls loving... in love. <laughs> you make it so much more dignified. I mean, maybe, maybe <laughs> one is Hillary, the other one is Monica Lewinsky. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do believe that Bill Clinton l- fell in love with multiple people. <laughs> but at the end of the day, loves Hillary the most. So. That's why I think this character is very Bill Clinton. I don't think he ever thinks any less of not loving. And he just Sue, assumes he's going to get prom king too. Really. By the way, it doesn't matter who is he's ta- who is taken to the dance. Like it's like yeah, I think he's just like a loving guy. He's yeah. a little bit of a free spirit, sixties, peace and love kind of person, peace which is what love. the Clintons are. So I no, I think he falls in love with Carrie not because he's cheating on. Um, Sue or Amy Irving but just because I think he ends up seeing her for who she is well yeah because she's different and Um, turns out different's good in this scenario because she's like an individual because okay this whole time like she has no want or need Carrie has no want or need to conform she could like yeah she grew up a little poor um, she's a little odd. She's not hip to the vibe but if she wanted to she could fit in it's her staunch I don't give a shit. Exactly. Okay, and this is some of the points that I that I brought up a little bit later on. I thought Carrie, from what I remember Carrie to be, and from what I saw Carrie in this version, mm-hmm. she was definitely much more autonomous and much more powerful and much more like I'm doing shit my way mm-hmm. than I remembered her being. Right. So yeah. um, it was less about a person who doesn't who know was victimized how to and yeah that it is about no there's this world and there's these mean girls and i'm just me and fuck them yeah and there were moments and i can point them out i think there was a moment where she didn't want the door open for her and i thought that was interesting oh i don't remember that um she wanted to get out of the car by herself oh that's right yeah at the prom he comes around yeah and I thought, oh, she's a rebel. I love it. She has a like kind of like a lot of agency. She doesn't. She's not conforming at all yeah. to what people want her to do. So I, I that was d- different. And I was like, there's a sense of I don't know. I feel like in some other movies where they play this kind of character, they play very cliche. Like, oh, this is a ch- you know a child who doesn't know how to. Work in the world. I'm like, that's not Carrie. Carrie, no. Carrie's very smart. Right. She's just never been given the opportunity to fit in. 
And once she's given the opportunity to fit in by this scenario that mm -hmm. Amy Irving creates with her boyfriend, she totally fits in. Yeah, like she accepts it, but she's like, this doesn't make or break me. But until <laughs> she's like, I'll break all of you. Until for these at me. fuckers throw the blood at her. Yeah. And then it's like, I'm going to bite back. So yeah, like she adapted to all this stuff. And, and to your point um, with the door, I don't remember this one scene. I mean, this this came to me again with rewatching in 2020 of how special it was. Uh, she's at the library and she gets the Dewey Decimal System going and goes to like those cards and she's trying to understand her psychic powers as opposed mm -hmm. to, I just got my period. <laughs> Instead of finding out what her body's about, because God knows her mom's not gonna fucking tell her anything about it. Cause you know, now she's a woman and sexualized and and all that. I I just really like that she's like, this other strange thing is happening and it's actually very special and unique. Let me do some investigation on that as opposed to these hormonal changes. Exactly. And it's and she owns up to that. Yeah. She was like, I'm learning my power, I'm learning what I So then the the body changes that her mother doesn't want her to know about become the powers of becoming a powerful woman. Mm. And that, well the part that I never noticed before is the fact that she is this the way Sissy Spacek plays her mm -hmm. is not not that meek. Mm-hmm. It's much more like, yeah, I'm a powerful woman. I'm going to own this and I'm going to go for this. P.S. Right? P.S. I just learned yesterday that Carrie Fisher was considered to be yes. this. I had no clue. They So uh, George Lucas and Brian De Palma Carrie did auditions for Princess Leia and Carrie at the same time. And supposedly, this the, I don't know if this, the urban legend is that Sissy Spacek went on to play... She was the front runner to play Princess Leia, and Carrie Fisher was the front runner to play um, Carrie because in the huh. book, um, Carrie is a uh, brunette. Oh, huh. which is why I think who one of the versions she's brunette. I think it's in the Angela Bettis, the TV version, Trisha Clarkson yeah. version. She's supposed to be a brunette hmm. because the blonde is. You More know. fun and sexual yeah. and free and accepting, like that exactly. whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. So the brunette was supposed to be the dark hair, da da da. So Carrie being freckled, red hair, blonde hair, <laughs> like person, me, like you, is totally a casting choice. Here we have Sissy Spacek, who plays this so like this is like the most introverted performance that you could ever see on screen. It's it's so internal and so oddly rewarding at the end mm -hmm. when she gets her revenge. Cause you're like kind of rooting for Carrie to fuck everything up. Cause we all have that hurt inside of us. And you know, you're, you're just really rooting for her, but she doesn't do a whole lot of speaking in the first half of the film. No, it's very, and I think it's not only an internal performance, but it's also, I remember thinking about this this time. The reason this movie works so well is that we actually connect with her feeling of empowerment as the movie goes on. Right. Meaning when she, again, that moment where she goes from being not fitting in to fitting in, she totally takes on, she's like, oh, I can do this. I can fucking do this. Mom, you stay in your corner. Yeah, like I'm getting dressed. She's totally owning it. So that switch, that twist is what makes the ending work even more mm -hmm. because you know 
that what happens to her at the prom is wrong. Mm-hmm. So, because you know that there is nothing wrong with her at all. She can totally do this. Yeah, she's fine. Right? She can be and without so, mama. She can be without, yeah. She's. But she, she just got attacked in the most horrible way. Uh-huh. So she's completely justified in her revenge, which is what makes the movie work. You, you do not for a second doubt that she should be doing what she's doing at the end mm-hmm. of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's because of CC SpaceX amazing internal performance, performance. She's so uh, yeah the switch from the internal to the external and the fact that she can totally lose there's nothing wrong with her other than the fact that she's not be- been given the opportunity to succeed in the society that she lives in which is a huge metaphor for women in general in society right right the moment you're a woman is given the opportunity to actually do something she'll do it 10 times better mm-hmm. so yes <laughs> She does, and she does. She's given the. I mean, this is in the small, like, high school world. Mm-hmm. She totally rocks the prom queen thing. Yeah. Um, it's just fucking. At the end of the day, maybe Chris, Nancy Allen's Chris, is just jealous. She could right? be. I mean, once again, she, that, that's where a lot of bullying comes from. They identify something in their victim, and they're just like, "Oh, I want to have what they have." And so here's, you know, Carrie. She has this otherworldly beauty, and she kind of doesn't give a shit what other people think. Whereas Chris, all, her currency is just being popular, and she's so mean. So okay, let's get to Chris right now. Let's get to Chris because I had questions about Chris. Oh, what are your questions? So Chris, okay, it's Nancy Allen who was married, or her, or Brian Palmer's partner for a very long I time. I think so. I think so. Yeah, they, I think they were married. I, Brian Palmer has had multiple wives, and, and um, she was obviously his muse. Like she was in Dress to Kill too, correct? Yes. So yes. she's. I find her fascinating. She, I, I'm a late in life fan of hers. She wasn't on my radar too much growing up. And I've, I've Poltergeist three with Lara <laughs> Flynn Boyle. We can't forget also. can't forget Poltergeist three. <laughs> <laughs> so um I I listened to an interview with, with uh Nancy Allen the other day and she said that she thought that her character and John Travolta's character they were playing it up to comedic effect to go what you're saying with uh, Piper being like, I thought that I was hilarious and I saw this and what? Okay, this isn't the performance that I tuned in or like what I was going for. Nancy and John Travolta, they were so loved on set. Everybody just loved them. Like they were joking around, having the best time. And when they went to a screening, people were like, hissing and booing when they came on screen and they're like hit her like they just hated her because everybody was automatically on carrie's side of like this bitch like how dare you treat this woman this way and and she was also like really antagonistic ball busting to john travolta as well um which john travolta he's a dick in this whole thing he's like drinking and driving in that one scene just like the pure epitome of entitlement you know i'm just like ah he's such a prick but she's like i was really surprised like everybody loved us on set we thought that we were the comedic relief of the movie (laughs) it's like no you guys are the villains you guys are bad yeah yep (laughs) and you're gonna die in a car crash what are your questions on Um, nancy so my questions about her so in general about the movie, I was like, there was so much abuse in the movie that it's played kind of nonchalantly. Oh, all the right? slaps. Everybody slapping all, each other. Everyone is the fucking gym hitting each other. The gym teacher to Amy, John and boom, her. Boom, she boom. and John. Yeah, everybody's hitting each other. 
And I wrote, everyone is so awful. Everyone is slapping everyone. <laughs> Cycle of bullying and abuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote, why does Chris hate Carrie so much? Like, at the beginning. Like, why is it that she's... I mean, I know that she doesn't get to go to the prom and all that, but there's something more. The way it's played, mm-hmm. there's an inherent hate of of Chris towards Carrie. Mm-hmm. Even before the punishment gets given. And I wrote that down because I was like, oh, she hates her just inherently. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the situation that goes down. She already hated her before it happened. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Like, if, if Chris is so popular and Carrie's so introverted, trying to hide, trying not to be seen, right? Because so why is it that she's so bothered by her? And I wrote that down and I was like, and that Carrie, that gets developed into, you know, her becoming the villain and going all at length. I just think that she has so prank. much um, unexercised rage. She just has rage and she just picked a target like the most understanding and least like there's there's going to be no repercussions or so she thinks coming from this target. That's why oh. I think that she like she fucking tunnels in on her. But it's interesting because you think about hate in America right now. Mm-hmm. What propels hate crimes and hate towards another group, another person. Fear of difference and fear of change. Fear Fear of like, I don't understand you. I don't get you. So therefore I have to isolate you. But yes, but at the same time, that's, that's a lot of energy to be put on something that you want, just not there. Mm -hmm. So part of me think that, I mean, all hate comes from self hate. Right. Right. So, which comes from hurt. It, it comes from hurt and usually repression. Exactly. So it's like there's she, she's hating on Carrie, everything that she hates about herself. And then I noticed, and you brought up the the scene in the car with um with John Travolta, where she's herself being abused by the men that she's dating. Mm-hmm. The, the slapping and the hitting is happening. There. It's like, it's because that's thing. normalized violence. Yeah. That's what Normal. it's kind of like where we are in America. I mean, I'm not even going to talk about like the political events that are happening. I kind of equated this to um, gun violence. Like it is mm-hmm. so daily, like ever before the lockdown, it was daily, 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 daily. You would get a tweet or a notification that, okay, well, this mass shooter, this school shooting, this mall shooter, it was daily. We became numb to it. Other countries are like, guys, it's the Wild West over there in America. Like, what the hell is your problem? We're like, just another day, another person got shot randomly. Like, it's so normalized to us. And so I do think in, in what you're expressing, these relationships, it's just normal. Once you're, like, really accustomed to this abuse, it's just another day. Nobody thinks anything... Um, differently of it, which is why the Carrie character is even more fascinating because Mm -hmm. she's constantly being humiliated and physically and psychologically bullied by her classmates, but by her mother, this person of trust. Like this is supposed to be the safe space. And and she's just not, she doesn't get a break, but she is not a, a, like she doesn't react. Like I, I would think in this movie, 
you would think that like the littlest people sliding her like remember the principal calls her cassie a few times like mm-hmm. man you mm-hmm. dick like learn her name god and you would think that she would kind of fuck with him like maybe you know like I, d- don't they do something where they like break the ashtray she, she breaks and stuff the ashtray, yeah she's just yeah she's definitely not happy yeah because you, you can kind of see like she acknowledges this but she could fuck him up but she's not she's kind of just kind of kind of like let it be known like you did that okay just know you're on my list and i i think it's very powerful to show that all these people are trying at full capacity to damage each other carrie just shows a little hint every now and then and then finally at the end of the movie it just bubbles like she just reacts to all the hell that she's been put through but she is portrayed as a very loving person throughout the film yeah and i think the, this cycle of abuse this is what really makes the movie work because I even thought, oh, even the the gym teacher who's supposed to be, who I remember being <gasps> that kind gym one. teacher, man, I had different no, thoughts about this gym teacher no. this time around. She she was slapping her. She was slapping people, people. She was all up Amy Irving's business to the fact I'm like, do you have a crush on Amy? Like, what is this deal about? Like, you were she obsessed was so mean to with her, Amy. <laughs> and I was like, I I was like, no, of course, I, I, I that's when I, the in the revisit. Mm-hmm. I always thought, oh, because she gets killed at the end, right? Mm-hmm. And I always thought, oh, she killed one of the good ones. Like, she killed everyone. No, that bitch deserved to die, too. Yeah, she, she was, was terrible. She was, yeah, she was a hypocrite. Once again, it, it, was like, no. she was an abuser in her own right. She thought that she was doling out the justice as she saw fit. You know what I mean? It was her justice. I was like, no, the gym teacher is awful. We She's when She said, you can't go without a date. Like, what? Oh, yeah. It's like, no, no. No. Also, PJ Souls was in this movie, okay. which I forgot. We Can are we talk talking about PJ Souls. PJ Souls. <laughs> okay. I don't get the red hat. I don't get it. I, it has to be some crazy inside joke with everybody. What is your face? Do you know what the red hat means? Oh, are you going to go to MAGA land? I, yep. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm gonna say two things: Is PJ Souls wearing a MAGA hat? Question mark. Also, rigging the election? Question oh mark. Oh my god! I'm gonna leave it at that. That's great. That's amazing. I, I gotta say, like, okay, I know this hat is a comedic prop throughout the movie like she's at the prom and she's wearing her her dumb little red hat with her dress they they cut to a scene where they're getting their hair done they put the cap on top of the little air dryer bubble like it's clearly such a joke but i'm like why why are you doing this to this girl like it's foreshadowing to <laughs> foreshadowing to to the dead zone to, to, to just the, yeah. rigging the election uh, Stephen King knew what was up I don't know, know if the hat is in the book I will look it up you though. need to but like please let me know uh, that whole thing was to me traumatic yeah her hat like man it just bugged foreshadowing me. yeah I was like <laughs> and this is before so yeah, okay. This and she was, was a bully. Before Halloween. She was, was a super bully. And she was a super bully and she rigged the election and she had a MAGA hat. I'm just going to leave it there. I was like, okay, I love fine. it. I love it. PJ. PJ. Mm-mm. Okay, so then the other strange thing that I noticed when they're getting ready for the prom, and I don't know how you felt about this, there's that weird 
sped up part. I know exactly what you're talking about. I wrote a little note right? about it, and I was like, okay, "Should tell I even me about go your note. I was into like, this? What's happening here? Yeah, let's go into it." So, I was like, "Oh, it's such a strange scene. It's like the three guys and they're tuck shopping. I guess to kind of even out the genders instead of like women are getting excited for the prom. I felt like it was like, hey, let's get these guys excited. And there's the the little guy. Um, He's the one who reminds me of Breckenmeyer. He is a yes, I know exactly <laughs> right? what you're talking about. Breckenmeyer 2.0. Yeah, and, and yes. he's and he's so cute and little, and and they do this kind of goofy shenanigans with getting ready, and they speed up the sequence. And I just thought this is so strange. This feels like a whole different thing. Like, why is this here? And um, so I went down a rabbit hole with Harry Gold. Because I'm like, this is such a weird sequence. We need to figure this out. I don't have the answer to why this tiny little sequence is in here. However, I'm going to tell you about Harry Gold. He turned out to to head this insanely big agency in Los Angeles. He's he's the head of Talent Works. It's, it's oh, wow. yeah. He went on to be a power agent, and in his client list are Amy Irving, William Cat, like all of these people from Carrie. They're his clients to this day. It's crazy. The only other reason I can I can justify this scene being sped up and like the weird quirkiness of it um, is with that one shot that Carrie and William Cat have at the oh, prom. And the, and the yeah, prom we keep on doing like this, like you spin me round, right round, baby. Kind spin of. me <laughs> right round, baby, right round, like a right record. Round, baby. So like, we'll oh. talk about that. But that's the only other thing that I can think of, of why it was sped up. Just to be like, hey, we're going to do some kind of fun things with camera. Like, why not? Losing track of time. Okay. Which happens twice in the movie. I think you're right. I think it's connected okay. to that moment. I think you're very right. I hope so. Because <laughs> they lose track of time when they're dancing. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the most powerful moments in the movie. So this might be setting that up. I don't know. I think you might be right. Okay. I'll take it. And I'll drink to that. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Oh. With your bloody carry. Oh, it's so good. I'm very mm. jealous. I really want a Bloody Mary. Um, okay, so let's talk about these guys and girls getting ready for prom. So we have that weird scene. Yes. So Carrie's getting ready for prom, and just like your date at your prom, she made her own dress. And it yes. might be a little too big for her because her mama can see her dirty pillows, which is also a famous and wonderful line. I can see her dirty pillows. They're called breasts, mama. Like, I, I love that she kind of spits back at her mom going, I'm not a little girl. Like, let me educate you if you're not going to be straight with me. You know, it's, it's an interesting moment. Yeah, and I think she this, this is the part where I think Sissy Spacek brings a lot to the role because she's saying, no, I know who I am. I know what's up. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. And I've decided to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm owning myself and I'm owning my life and I'm going to go out there and do what I want. Mm-hmm. I'm and- not going to lie. With some of this religious stuff, I mean, it's really easy to go into zealot bible thumper land and what's happening a lot in the south but honestly with the whole vaccine on the horizon i kept thinking about (laughs) anti-vaxxers of people spouting out (laughs) truths and what they know to be and there's like no justification it's just like their their theory and what they've read on the internet and then i kind of like see carrie as being the general public of being like no you get this and you don't die mama (laughs) like that's kind of how i feel that's how it works (laughs) i go i plug it in plug it up plug it up into my arm (laughs) And then I'm good. And that's it. That's how it works, mama. No hopes and prayers. We're not praying this away. Logic. (laughs) 
so okay not madness <laughs> so so we have the very repressed uh piper Laurie, um not happy that carrie's getting ready for prom and she has like her beautiful slip dress and everything and um and I, this is what i want to say to, to your point of thinking that these two fell in love i don't think that sissy spacek is falling in love with little blondie locks i think she's flattered and i think she's trying to get with the hype of like wow this really popular guy likes me but she really loved his poetry in that class like she loves his heart as you and i discussed he's not that bad of a guy but she i don't think she's really vibing that hard for him and i do think that he does have a little crush for her he sees her her heart but you know he has his girlfriend um, I did notice, which I didn't notice the first time watching this, that she all of a sudden has kind of his headshot or his football picture or something. He has some some kind of picture of oh, him. in the mirror? Yeah, by the oh. mirror as she's getting ready. And it's where Jesus, like this really scary Chris Cornell looking drawing of Jesus to go with the scary Jesus zombie thing that we have going from the, the thing in the closet to this. She has like this crazy picture of Jesus and now he's next to Jesus. And I thought that was a really interesting place placement of both illustrations because it's sexualizing these men also um because like jesus is the rock star right like he's got his abs he's ripped and everybody worships him here's like the popular guy at school everybody worships him um and everything that she's known from the men in her life jesus is the only man in her life as far as she and her mom are concerned so she doesn't know how to love another man except to kind of idolize him so i think she respects him and likes him but i honestly uh, the whole movie uh. she's not sexual and the beginning of the movie starts out with like we're talking about sexuality but carrie herself is finding herself in it which once again trans character be trans or gay <laughs> like try to figure out your feelings <laughs> But um, yeah, I I just never felt like she fell in love with him. I think she was flattered and was exploring it. And ultimately, she could take it or leave it, you know? But I get, when I say that she falls in love with him, I think it's more there's a moment in the dance itself mm. where he where he actually sees her. Mm-hmm. Whereas her mother doesn't really see her and no one else ever really sees right. her. Right? So... I guess it's not love. It's more like, oh, my God, someone actually sees who I actually am. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment of recognition. Be- and I would think for him, the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they see Where each other. Where he's like, hey, I'm not just like this sweet-ass uh, piece of meat. You actually see me, Gary. <laughs> yeah. And I think they both see each other. I mean, we don't really get to see what Amy Irving's relationship with him is in a deeper level, why we don't have scenes. But but she's so confident alone. that she's like, here, take my boyfriend. Hey, I'll miss prom. Bo- I'm okay. Like, that's a confident move. That's just like, uh, I'd rather be at home watching TV. I'm okay. And, and again, Amy Irving also plays that role very well because there's, I don't know, it's very interesting. It's like, I thought, I saw a lot of empowerment for the female characters of this movie, except, mm-hmm. of course, Chris. But... It was like, yeah, go. Right. She's not at all um, insecure about doing any of this. <laughs> yeah. She was She's like, okay. go do this. She needs this. And then when Carrie takes on the, the opportunity, she also takes it on with empowerment. So there wasn't a lot of... Oh, I'm a weak woman. None, none of that. I know there, of there's cliches. no, there's no. She's all no. that kind of makeover no. sequence. She's like, okay, I'm, I want to go to this prom. I'm gonna make my dress, and my mom's gonna have some shit to say about it. Us. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm gonna handle to, it. 
with, with my telekinetic powers. I'm going to put her, boop. And she goes, you sit there. I know. And, and that's another thing. Down. That was awesome. That was my favorite moment. Yeah. And, it, and it's so subtle throughout this entire film, just kind of like what we're doing here in the podcast. We're talking more about who Carrie is as a person and then recognizing she has this super freaky fucking power. You know, it's such a background thing that is ultimately the mm-hmm. plot device. But she's just like chilling and she'll let us know every now and then like, hey, I choose not to fuck you up. I choose not to. I could. I'm not going to threaten you. I'm just going to let you know. You Just be aware that I could fuck you up. Exactly. And I think this is why Stephen King loves this movie because at the end of the day, his books are more about character than they are about the plot devices. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the adaptations mm-hmm. become much more of the plot devices than they do about the characters. And this is why he doesn't like The Shining. Mm. Um, okay. The Shining, he feels... He, I read about this. He feels like the Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, the play as pawns hmm. okay. of, this, of this hotel and what's happening. Whereas in Carrie, there's a lot of soul to all the people who are in. This is a very short movie. Yeah. This is great acting in a very short, short, short movie. Yeah. Little moments build these characters up in this magical There's a lot way. of catharsis, um, too, which The Shining you don't get up. You get a lot of mysticism and a lot of freakiness, and which I love. I love both of these movies, and they're so completely different. But I, I can see that, to your point. Like, Carrie feels... You, you feel cathartic with her that's the only thing i can say from whenever you know she expresses her rage and and to go back to the gun violence thing i mean we grew up in an era of school shootings i mean and this prom this is prom a shooting, is that right? is that and so if, if you're rooting for this character now if this was like brand new in 2020 you'd be like oh my god this little asshole kind of like this we need to talk about kevin's situation exactly you wouldn't yeah. be on carrie's side you'd be like wow you ruined everybody's life but we as the viewer we're like look at all these assholes like making her life hell and then and she's just trying the best she can and honestly um, I think that her ESP a lot, like a lot of her telekinetic powers, is used as more of a coping mechanism of like how hell on earth is for her. That she's like, you know what? I'm going to explore these powers. And the fact that I have this in my little tool belt makes me feel good. And I think that could go to us coping, you know, in 2020 as a whole. I think that we're just like, okay, we have our friends. They're out there somewhere. We can't see them, but they're there. <laughs> they're there they're there and it's like i have my home okay how can i make my home prettier like we all have coping mechanisms and i think that um sharpening her esp powers i think was kind of like a healthy hobby for her that's interesting that you say that if this movie were to be made today she would be vilified as the person yeah. who killed everyone in her school yeah, psycho i mean yeah. She's not using a gun, right? No, but she killed everybody. They make no doubt about it. They're like, everybody died on this night. Everybody fucking died except for Amy Irving. That's why it's such a good movie because you are on her side Mm -hmm. at the end. And -hmm. this is a hard sell for today's people, right? Or Mm -hmm. or our society, right? Someone who did, the person who did the school shooting, are we going to be on their side for being bullied or whatever? No. In a way, in Carrie, the movie and the book, you are given a, a, a purpose and, an, and a face to each person that she kills. Because I remember in that prom scene, oh, she killed this person. I mean, I don't know if she kills everyone, but 
you do see those moments with the gym teacher, with the people. Like, it's strange how well it works, where it's not a horror scene for the victims. It's a horror scene where you're the fucking perpetrator. But it's supposed to be this, like, metaphor in art about the people who have been um, kind of oppressed taking back the narrative mm -hmm. through revenge. Right. Right? Right. And then when Columbine, something like Columbine happens, and then we're like on the outside, it's actually a real thing happening. It's not a metaphor. It's like these people who went crazy and shot yeah, everyone down. Yeah. Uh -huh. So can we separate those two things, right? Are we able to understand the perpetrators as Carrie's or is Carrie completely different feeling of it's, a representation in art of the anger that we feel when we are being oppressed and we want to fight back. Oh, that's right? really well said. Hey, so that's good. Not these fuckers with the guns and the craziness, right? Yeah, no. Or maybe they are. I don't know. I don't know them. But I so. mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're like little assholes. They killed everybody. It's interesting to think about violence, like mass violence in art versus mass violence in real life and the differences between the two. I don't mm -hmm. know. It's interesting. Um... But let's talk about Piper some more because I always thought in those scenes with Piper before and after the prom, especially after the prom when she becomes Jesus oh, herself. Oh, yes, 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 knives, yes. Uh -huh. um, I thought it was a representation of the religious condemnation of women uh -huh. in its misogyny. And this is something that has always, and I'm going to go deep here, okay. always bothered me. I one of the main reasons I could never get down with any religion whatsoever. And it's just like this, like super obvious thing is that religion is extremely misogynistic. So mis I cannot get down with religion because it's already misogynistic. And I saw this in this movie in a very interesting way. It's just, it's all about condemning women. So I thought it was very powerful that at the end of the movie, the person being crucified is Piper Laurie herself, mm -hmm. right? It's this woman who has given her life to this religious celosy and cause. Mm -hmm. There's this figure with the eyes. The only person who gets crucified is herself. And I thought there's this element of self-destruction in it, mm -hmm. of, of supporting something that hates women. And so at the end of the end, you end up killing yourself. And then the fact oh, that- Oh, you mean like women for us, Trump? <laughs> Yes. Well, <laughs> no, and just in general, like religions are based on venerating a, a, a white male figure. I mean, it's funny because Jesus was not even white. I know. But people think he was white. I know. <laughs> well, it, it also, life, I, I mean, mean, just to kind of, was, I want to say that there's um, a difference between American Catholicism and European Catholicism. Yeah. You and I have talked about this a lot. And there is a different emphasis on on Mary and being the mom of God and all this other stuff. But I'm with you. I am not a religious person. I am aware of it. I understand what it means to certain people. I respect their beliefs. I'm just like, oh, this is how you you run your life. Okay, cool. I'm, I understand it. Um, when it comes to Piper's character, I am just so deeply traumatized by um, growing up in a in the Bible Belt South. Not my home. My home was not deeply religious. My mom later in life became religious, but um, 
I know. What's up with these people later in life? They, you know, it becomes, are we going to become religious when we're old? Oh, I hope. Well, I, I see myself joining <laughs> a cult or something fun. Okay, so Carrie is getting ready for the prom. Piper is having her crazy ass evangelical moment, and she's like hitting herself, has a mental breakdown, and that's like the whole "they're all going to laugh at you" amazing thing. And then, uh, oh yeah, Blondie Locks shows up with his amazing matching tux and car. Like, that was baller. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fucking great. <laughs> um, and then we, we know the conspiracies happening behind the scenes. We know all the girls are going to make her life hell. So we all have anxiety about this. And Carrie's, like, believing in the best. And she's naive, but she's also, you know, having faith, her own faith that humanity will prevail and she'll have a good night. She's not hoping to be fucking prom queen, but she's hoping to have a good night with this guy that's showing an interest in her. Um in 2020, watching them at the, the prom, like there's that door moment where you said she's like, you know, independent lady of I can do this myself. And that was awesome. They go into the prom. Uh, first of all, I see all these people dancing together. And I'm like, you're all too close. All of you are so <laughs> close to each other. All of you. Vent, vent that out. Open a door. Um, and then I have like the gym teacher there. What am I saying about the gym teacher? She sits down with them. Oh, yes. So the gym teacher shows up and she's trying to be this ally, which I love that you're with me on this. Like the gym teacher sucks. We Growing up, you're like, this is a trusted adult and she's looking out for Carrie. No, no, no. She's terrible. She's awful. She's the worst. She's She's the person who's evil, who doesn't even know, who thinks that they're good. Exactly. She's a Karen. Mm -mm. Yeah. She's, She's on the wrong side of history. So... She's over there and chats up uh, Carrie and Blondie Locks and just kind of like, she's a little wary of it, but she's like, okay, we'll have a good time, whatever. Um, and then that scene happens where like the camera, like we were talking about the, you spin me right round motion mm-hmm. and it's so speedy and quick. And as I'm watching this, cause I didn't resonate that the first time that I saw this, but recently, you know, I was like, this is such an odd camera technique. And I was like, I hate this, but I love it, but I hate it, but I love it. Like, and it lasts a really long time. I'm just mm-hmm. going around them. And I think like to what you pointed out is their entrapment of, you know, they're in each other's arms, they're starting to see each other for who they really are. And then we're dizzied by it. We're, we're, we don't know how we're supposed to feel. And then it could be a De Palma's thing of like, this is love. This is like the feeling of love. You're so confused and you're caught up in the moment or whatever. Um, and I also heard, and you're the film person here, like the film student, that this scene was pretty intense to shoot. It took like three weeks. There's a hundred setups. Like it's fucking psycho bananas from a filmmaking perspective. Yes. Yes. I I mean, I think the the entire prom sequence was half of the shoot. Yeah. Which is crazy. Um, Mostly because they have all these complicated just like setups like if you watch the sequence carefully there's a lot going on mm. it might seem like it all goes by really quick mm-hmm. but even like the sequence when you're like they're standing up there and the thing is shaking and then like Nancy Allen and John Travolta are underneath the stairs and then Amy Irving comes in yeah this whole choreography seems seamless to us but it's very complicated mm. to shoot hmm. there's all these angles from underneath the stairs from outside the stairs looking at the thing povs right this this high angle low angle 
Um, and it's there's a lot of quick cuts and a lot of things happening. And it's a lot of setups, mm. like lighting setups yeah. going on. And I can't I, even I imagine the, the continuity space. with the blood. Jesus, like that seems like a nightmare. I actually noticed a continuity error. Oh. When they show, <laughs> first time, sorry, the Palma, I noticed. Um, when they show the overhead, the first time, the blood thing is in a different spot. Mm-hmm. Than it is at the end when it falls. Mm. It's actually a completely different corner of the room, and oh. that's one of the things that happens. They probably shot the first one a week before they yeah, shot. Yeah, the they second probably shot one. it so many times, and they're like, <laughs> oh, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, it's totally something you notice after watching the movie like twenty yeah, times. Yeah, but you, if you notice where it's first place, it's not gonna fall on Carrie. It's gonna fall on him, mm-hmm. and then. I, maybe it's on purpose. I don't know to play with your perception of where what's happening, but it was definitely not in the same place. Yeah, yeah. So I was curious about. I was like, oh, oh. that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of these crazy angles and shots and things, the spin around, all the different stuff that's going on in the prom, the laughing at me moment, the yeah. different. It's just. It's a, there's a lot happening. There's so much going on and so much yeah. anxiety. Like my anxiety is through the roof in this. And you know, yeah, to what you said, Amy Irving goes in, and we're supposed to be the audience member, kind of like being with her, like, oh no, shit's about to go down. And then we see horrible Chris and John Travolta being sneaky and laughing and giggly under the stage and all this. And then the gym teacher. She's focused in on Amy Irving. She, her eyes are on the wrong prize, you know? Which was set up earlier because she's like very harsh with Amy yeah, Irving. Yeah, she's like, get the hell out of here. Plan. Why are you here? And yeah, yeah, she's like not and having like, her. Why are you ruining this? It's like the worst. So there's the De Palma dreamy sequence. Everything's almost in slow motion. Anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. We're just like, oh my God. Carrie is about to be ridiculed. Blondie Locks and Piper, I mean, sorry, Blondie Locks and Sissy Spacek are called up to be prom queen and king. They go up on the stage. We see the blood, as you pointed out, not properly placed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they get their crowns, and it's a very purposeful close up to, uh, to, Tommy digging on Sissy Spacek. Like, he's like, all right, this is us. This is what's happening. And then the blood falls. The blood falls in slow motion. You hear the sound effect, like the can dropping. You see her reaction. She gasps. She, like, you can just see that she's shocked. She's shocked. And it's silent. And then everybody starts laughing at her. Her worst fears, her mother's prophecy all that comes true. Like, that's just so horrible. It's so horrible. It's It makes me sick thinking about it, that here Carrie was just trying in her own right to live her life and be a good person, and then humanity failed her. Humanity failed her. Maybe her mom was right. What are you going to say? I was going to say, um, and this is just a question. I don't know if I'm wrong about this, but okay. I've always interpreted the laughing moment when everyone laughs at her as being in her mind. Am I wrong about this? 
Are people actually laughing at her? I, I always interpret that in the past. Now I'm not too sure. But no, but I think past. that's an interesting, you know, I, I think that's an interesting way to check yourself. Like, I think it's a mixture of both. I think that people did laugh at her, but the mom's loop, they're all going to laugh at you, accentuated her own fears. And so therefore it was really blown up to 300%. Probably the first popular click, the little mean girls and PJ Souls and her dumb red MAGA hat. <laughs> Like, I think they were... Or like, because they wanted to incite the laughter. Exactly. I think that they were laughing, and then the first two rows of mean kids were, and everybody else was just enjoying their prom, or maybe thinking, like, wow, that's really shitty. That's awful. Like, you don't know. And I I just... she just It's her perspective. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's her perspective. They're all doing this. They're all... They all need to die. Like, she just went to the further extreme because for the longest time she gave everybody the benefit of the doubt and so then she went the other way she's like you're all guilty fuck this and i'm gonna see you through my blood colored glasses so glasses. i like that so everybody always speaks about the imagery of the blood running down her face and her big beautiful blue eyes everybody Mm -hmm. speaks about that but for me and this is also um, to go on top of what you're saying about like the whole representation of feminism in this movie, how she walks, it's with her hands. Her hands is so fascinating to me. Everybody's like concentrated on the crown, the blood, the eyes. For me, her hands are in this little Barbie thing where the wrist is down, the hands are flecked up. It's very feminine that it's exactly how those old school 60s, 70s Barbie dolls are positioned. Their hands are exactly like that. So... She's prom queen with blood all over her, but very dainty as she steps, floats down the stage. She's very calm and composed as she's wreaking havoc and hell in the gymnasium. Like the teachers are the first to get it, which I thought was really powerful. This rewatching the the little the old gym. guy that was in the in one flew of the cuckoo's nest. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so he gets it by like fire hose, and then the gym teacher fucking gets it. Like she's kind of going after the adults of like you guys should have known better. You knew like this like responsibly lies with you. Fuck you guys. And then she kills everybody else. There's flames, blood. Like it's just a mess. And she just calmly like leaves. And because the gym teacher hates Amy Irving so much, she left unscathed. When she sees, <gasps> she realizes what's happening. And then the gym teacher's like, oh, you're ruining everything. And, and then he, she kicks her out, which ultimately her saves out. her life. Exactly. She would have died too, probably. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think Carrie intended to spare anyone. Mm-hmm. No. Um, but that sequence, I think one of the things that you point out is very powerful is how still she is mm-hmm. with the whole thing and it's the fact that she doesn't have any movement it's just with her mind that she causes right. all this to happen we see the and eyes and the movement of the like, camera and like we we get that we are in full throttle screen. of yes yeah like on one hand we see her reactions on the other side of the, the screen we see all the chaos and terror happening so yeah it's the stillness on the left side and chaos, chaos, chaos on the right. And on the right, exactly. And I think that's why the split screen always works in this movie. It's great. You're splitting, seeing her being, in a way, calm, confident, and collected, and the, the chaos as she's ensuing. And this scene never, I mean, there's other movies that have represented 
I don't know, like Dark Phoenix in a X-Men right, movie. Right, right. Um, Another saucy redhead, just going to point out. But it's never this powerful, right? So no movie has ever gotten this idea this powerful at the, as no, this moment. No, to unleash this hell, no. Um, because there's something about Sissy Spacek and the movie and the way it's portrayed where we're like totally with her yeah as like the revenge is gratifying you're like these little pricks it's deserve it justifying and gratifying and it makes sense and you don't but which watching in 2020 with all the violence that is in our culture it does make you feel a little conflicted you know yes they were like maybe take a xanax this- carrie <laughs> you know just chill the fuck out killer, like, you're not gonna care happening? about these guys in a year you're gonna go off to college you're gonna do your own thing but it still works i don't know it's somehow even even despite how we could judge this movie as a representation of a high school shooting cc's mm-hmm. pace that carry us carries us through it going to she exits the building very calmly. Carrie has mm-hmm. left the building. Everybody's flames <laughs> in the background. It's so beautiful. It's amazing. Um, like and what's she, her, um, Angela Bassett in Stella got her group back. <laughs> Carrie got her group back. Flames. So, Carrie got her group back. So she goes back. She, she leaves the gymnasium and still very calm with her little Barbie hands and blood everywhere in her face. And then she has John Travolta to deal with because didn't they leave the prom? Like they they got out. Yeah, they left earlier. They didn't even know what happened. Yeah, so the people that were the crux of this hatred were about to get off scot free. Whereas we, as the audience, would have been pissed if that had happened. So I like that she deals with them separately. So we do see that she applies mass violence and then she singles them out. Like she flips their fucking car over. She's just like, no, 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 you're not going anywhere. And it's like that cool shot that they're, you know, driving and speeding. And then she turns towards them and the car just gets so fucked up and they die in a fire explosion. Then Carrie's got to go home to mama who's had her own party. She's had, she's had like prom night with Jesus. Candles are everywhere. And I wrote in my notes, I'm like candlesticks on the bed. Like they're just like laying out. (laughs) Like what's happening? Like everything's on fire. I mean, maybe this is her own or maybe, maybe it's foreshadowing for the mom's going to go up in flames. Who knows? But I can't remember if it's during the prom scene or pre uh, prom scene where Piper is chopping vegetables and then you see that she's not oh, chopping shit. anything, which is chilling. <laughs> it's such a fun moment. I really like that scene in Carrie. Um, so anyways, Carrie comes back and then it becomes this whole thing of when you're hurt and wounded and you're looking to your parent, but already like all these elders, the teachers have wronged her. So what's mama gonna do you know but she she is vulnerable and she's like oh mama this and she's like willing to give her a moment you know to be like maybe what you said was right maybe i'll change my ways i rebelled against you maybe that was wrong like you can see this character still has redemption left in her and piper like is in on her own crusade piper's in her own fucking crazy world and she reveals that carrie is a product of rape and associates her with sin and has like always hated her and once again i I start thinking about we need to talk about kevin with kind of some Mm -hmm. of this stuff of like blaming your child before the child's even out of the womb and all this other stuff um 
So then she kind of does like the slow thing with the knife, which I forgot about. I totally forgot about this part that that the mom oh, stabs yes. Carrie. The mom straight up stabs her. So everything that Carrie does is out of reaction. Like people yep. physically do something to her and then she just like blows her shit. So I totally forgot about that. I don't know why. Maybe that's a psychosomatic thing. I just glazed over it. Yeah, she's <laughs> trying to do the abortion now. Yeah, right? Right, just a yeah. little late. It's a little late for that. Late term, late term. <laughs> so um, out of self-defense, Carrie does her Xavier powers and pens Mama to the wall and then gets the knives going to so where she's ultimately penned up like Jesus, like just like knife, knife, knife. And um and all that awesome history of horror too. That yes, Piper, do you remember what she? Yes, that was crazy, right? She was talking about she, like there's she put blocks under her costume. Were they metal blocks for whenever the knives flew towards her that they would be stabbed in in the blocks under the, her? Yeah, it was oh, all real. Crazy, so, that's craziness to me. <laughs> she had like a metal thing to protect her from actually being stabbed but they were actually thrown at her. man she like, wow like that's dedication <laughs> to a performance man but also i want to say piper are you sure you know you're not playing a comedic character like come on you know that shit's getting a little scary She's in the circus being thrown <laughs> daggers like a performer <laughs> so okay so then piper is taking the jesus stance with the knives everywhere and she kind of like resembles the creepy jesus voodoo doll that's in the yes. closet she passes out next to brilliant brilliant payoff oh so good um and then the house itself starts crumbling because like carrie's bringing the house down so, yes, yeah, so the, this is the, where I was going to bring the whole idea of the witch protagonist. So a lot of this, I think this story has a basis on the fact that because she has these powers, she's condemned as a woman, mm. which is like the Salem witch trials, right? Where they put it, uh, burn at their stake or so Stephen King's original idea was that stones fall from the sky and bury the house down. Okay. Um, and there's like a prologue at the beginning mm -hmm. where when Carrie was a little kid, stones fell in her house. Oh. And they didn't know why. This is in the book. It's not in the I movie. I don't remember this at all. Um, I think they put this in one of the other adaptations. So at the huh. end, it's like the stones fall from the sky and bury the two of them. But the problem is that when they did this in the movie, the effect didn't work as well. So it's kind of haphazardly there. Mm-hmm. So you don't see it that way. You don't see that the stones are burying the house. This is from the novel. So you just kind of see that the house is kind of caving onto itself. And in fact, I think the last scene, the dream sequence, it looks like stones. You remember oh, this? Oh, yes. Um, again, huh. it's a, a somewhat unrealized idea in the movie, but uh -huh. it's there because it just didn't look right. And, and so, and yeah. let's talk about that final image, which is what separates the book from the movie that everybody was speaking about when this movie premiered. That at the end, um, Amy Irving is going in the dreamlike sequence with flowers to where the house once stood, and then in that rubble of the stones that you spoke of, um, which is more powerful now that you pointed that out to me. I, I really like that observation. Um, so she goes to the stones and there's like a little cross, you know, little 
It's almost like a tombstone, a grave marking of the cross of Carrie White will burn in hell. So even after her death, she is still being bullied. Like, this chick can't get a break. Like, good God. (laughs) Like, the girl is in the ground and people are still hating on her. So Amy Irvin goes with her beautiful angelic hair. And I've always wanted to have curly hair like that my entire life. Like, it's just so pretty. So she goes there and she leans down because her entire thing, it was not out of falsehood like she really wanted Carrie to get a good break she actually felt sorry for her she really really wanted things to be on the up and up for her she was not a false friend um so she goes and then she she leans down and puts the flowers by the the cross and then Carrie's bloody hand shoots up from the grave grabs onto Amy Irving. She wakes up screaming. The music is blaring. We see it's a dream sequence and she's traumatized. And the movie just ends. And, and then, then we get the calm 70s like la 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 music again. I'm just like, this is our lives. Like there's a lot of chaos and then there's like a, a lot of everything's going to be okay. And then chaos, 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 everything's going to be okay. And it's just how you adjust and adapt is, which is what we've learned about 2020, that this was the creation of the jump scare that if of, you, the, of the final jump the scare, final jump scare. Movie. yes, yes. Cause if, if yeah. you were a filmmaker and you didn't have that at the end of your horror film, then audiences would be pissed off. They're like, okay, well, I don't want to leave on a happy note or on a resolve note, people still wanted to like be a little jittery up until the very last minute. So I thought that this was really um, just innovative. This is such a great technique. It is, it is. We might be used to it now. Yeah, we're desensitized. It's, it's, it's in every movie, but when you think about that, this had never been oh, done. To see that the that first time, can you imagine? Yeah, you're expecting the movie to resolve. Yeah. And you don't this is this does not happen in a movie and then this happens it was so shocking and and also to a lot of people stephen king there's a a very popular opinion and i i go hit or miss with this that he's not the greatest at endings i think for any author to end a book successfully Mm -hmm. is such a challenge it's so hard to end a book i like stephen king endings i think they work very well i like them half the time (laughs) He's much better at the buildup than he's at the ending, but a lot of his endings work. And the, can we judge the books by the ending? I don't and know. we're just so emotionally involved that sometimes you want a story to keep going forever, you know? Exactly. But so is is are some of the books where the ending works more successful than the ones where they don't? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Endings are definitely tricky, but I feel like a lot of Stephen King endings work really well to me. But you're right. There's a couple where like, mm, you just yeah. kind of petered out. Yeah. He's like, okay, I'm done now. <laughs> I got more like, things to okay, do. Okay, fine. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the Brian De Palma ending so much, not only because it's cinematic, but also it brings a closure to the characters of Amy Irving really had the best intentions. She's the one who orchestrated the whole thing. Yeah. And right? it's like the road so, to hell is paved with good, with good intentions. intentions. Yep. 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 That being yep, said, yep, guys, yep. thanks for coming back with Carrie. We're going to end and well, this. Welcome to 2021, where the road is paved with vaccines. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. Thanks, guys. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.